great to see you. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. And uh, let's do this. Let's kick ourselves off today with a word of prayer. And how about if we stand if you had a mother? So let's uh, stand if you had a mom, and we'll pray. Father, thanks so much for your presence with us. That's what we believe. And we don't believe that anyone is here today by accident. We're convinced that you drew us here <laughs> through a variety of means. And um, God, we want to give you permission to speak. We bring all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of you, and we ask you to stir our hearts, broke open our chests this morning, and, and uh, speak a word to us, if necessary. Uh, wake us up. Revive us. Thanks, Lord. We're in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Starting a new series of uh, conversations today, How to Connect with God. How to Connect with God. All right, so think for a minute about this lamp. Uh, I've actually tried this. If you come in here when the room is pitch black dark and you turn this lamp on, if your eyes are adjusted to the dark, then uh, you can see, really, you can see almost the whole stage just from this little bit of light. And you get a pool of light here in the front of the room. You can easily see the lamp from uh, anywhere in the room, and it, it will direct you through the room. That's the, that's the job of the lamp. But this lamp cannot do what it was designed to do. It cannot shed light. It won't. I mean, it's got, it's got the on-off switch. It's got, somebody told me it looked like Pixar when I brought it in this morning. It's got, the, it's got the right electrical whatevers. It's got bulbs. I don't know the language. But it cannot do what it was designed to do if it's not plugged in to a power source. The same is true for you and I. Here's our don't miss this point this morning. If you miss everything else, don't miss this. A connection with God is essential for our lives. Our connection with God is essential. Now, by way of preface to our entire series of conversations before we explore the necessity of a connection with God, I want us to acknowledge three points as a preface today. Point number one, I want to recognize that Jesus is central to everything that we're going to say over the next five weeks. I'm not going to fully explain that this week, but I, but I will in subsequent weeks, especially next week. But Jesus, his teaching, his life, his death, his resurrection is central to everything we're going to say here. Secondly, I want to acknowledge how complicated this topic is and how cautious we should be in approaching it. We need to approach with confidence, but we should be cautious. Let me explain. Uh, if you're a Buddhist, you don't even ask the question of how to connect with God. What you're looking for is complete detachment. You're looking for a letting go of your desires and uh, of, your, of your clinging and of your longing. You believe that this letting go happens through the right kind of mindfulness and the, and the right kind of uh, practice of living. You don't concern yourself at all with the question of how to connect to God. That's not even really part of your thinking. If you were born in what is now Saudi Arabia a hundred years ago, then the topic of our five weeks of conversations about how to connect with God, that would have been laid out for you. You would have known exactly what we were going to talk about. You would know that each week we were going to talk about one of the five pillars of Islam because that defines how you connect to God. 
So this week we would talk about Shahada, which is to declare your one faith in the one God and his prophet Muhammad. And next week we would talk about Salat, which is to pray five times a day. And we might have brought a, a prayer rug or a prayer towel in as an audiovisual aid. The third week we would have talked about Zakat, which is to give to the needy, which is a, a significant part of your connection to God. The fourth week we would have talked about Psalm, which is to fast during Ramadan. And the last week we would have talked about, it might have been the most fun week of all, we would have talked about Hajj. And we would have had some pictures and maybe a testimony or two. And that's, that's your once-in-a-lifetime pilgrimage to Mecca. And this is how you would envision connecting to God. Perhaps even more confusing, if you were born in, let's say, 1480 in Northern Europe, you were almost definitely a Christian. And you would have imagined that your connection with God was mediated through your local priest. The very height of your connecting with God would have been the weekly mass where a cup and a wafer become the body and blood of Christ. So how do you connect with God? Well, once a week you ingest him in the weekly mass. You would have also thought about acts of devotion as a means of connecting with God. Perhaps the most important act of devotion for you would have been going on a pilgrimage. And in 1480, the average Christian believed that the very act of going on a pilgrimage could result, probably did result, in forgiveness of sins. Perhaps you would have, for example, gone to the, the shrine of St. James in, in Spain where the bones of the saint were reputed to be buried. It, it was believed that if you made it to the shrine of the saint, just going there would deepen your connection with God and would provide, in many cases, literal physical healing. In other words, in each case, you would have thought of connecting with God very differently than the way we're going to be talking about it this morning and for the next five weeks. Now, I don't say all of that to confuse us. I say it to create humility. This is not a small thing that we're talking about. This is not a light, throwaway topic. The idea of how to connect with God is an epic, life-altering, culture-shaping topic. And I also don't offer these alternative systems to create doubt. I firmly believe that what we will lay out over the next five weeks is the truth. And I believe it's the only truth. But pause. That's a weighty thing for me to say. That's a weighty thing for us to believe. And so I remind us of our Buddhist friends and our Islamic friends and our middle-aged Christian friends to create a sense of humility in us. This topic is big, and we should discuss it with clarity and confidence, but also cautiously and with humility, and we will. Our third preface point is, for those of you who like labels, what we're going to describe over the next five weeks can best be labeled evangelical faith. Now, I certainly don't mean that term the way you hear it today on CNN as a, a political term, it's wildly unfortunate that that term has been politicized over the last 20 years because the term evangelical dates back at least as far as the Reformation in the 1500s. It comes from a Greek word. The New Testament was written in Greek, and there is a Greek word, euangelion. I want you to see this. There's the Greek version and an Anglicized version of it. You can see how the word evangelical spilled out of that it means good news or to proclaim the good news and that's what Jesus is good news his message to us is that God is real 
And, and God desires to be so personally related to us that we can call him Father. And, and Jesus announced that we could enter into that personal relationship because of what he, Jesus, did for us. So as we said, everything we're going to say here is built on the teaching and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, and it's very good news. And the first thing we're going to say in this entire series of conversations is connecting with God is essential for us. It is essential. Okay, apart from this lamp, Let's, let's, uh, let's offer another illustration of the whole concept this morning. And, and to do that, we're going to borrow from Jeremiah, from the passage that uh, Sylvia read for us this morning. Jeremiah was riffing on the idea that we have to drink. We need water. All of us need water to survive. Here's what Wikipedia says about our need for water. And as we know, Wikipedia is never wrong. Dehydration occurs when water loss exceeds water intake due to exercise or illness. Most people can tolerate a 3 to 4% decrease in body water without difficulty. Listen to this. A 5 to 8% decrease can cause fatigue and dizziness and result in symptoms mimicking a heart attack and a stroke. Over 10% can cause physical and mental deterioration accompanied by severe thirst. A decrease of more than 50% of body water is fatal. We have to drink. Our body requires it. And in the same way, our souls require a connection with God. We nourish our souls with living spiritual water. They require it. And to do so, we have to nurture a connection with God. We have to nurture a real and dynamic connection with God in order to have a healthy soul. It is essential. In the passage that uh, Sylvia read for us, I hope you are following it. I want you to see in this passage the, the language of love that Jeremiah uses. Now, I'm going to throw some Hebrew words at you this morning because what, what Jeremiah does in this passage, again, that Sylvia read for us, he, he, he forages through the language and he comes up with the, the, the largest, most often used, most epic words that he can find to describe the depth and intimacy of the relationship between uh, Israel and Israel their God. And, he, and again, he uses the words that are the, the richest theological words he can find. In verse 2, he first uses the word hesed. And that word is used throughout the Old Testament to mean uh, faithfulness, goodness, loving kindness, or devotion. He says, I remember the hesed. I remember the devotion of your youth. And then he uses the word ahaba. Used all over the Old Testament, it's the word for love especially the word for love with God, how as a bride you loved me. And then he uses the word halak. And the word halak means uh, to go or to come, but when it's combined with the word with or after, it means to follow, as in follow God's law or follow God's way. And he says here, and you followed me through the desert, through the land that is not sown. And then in verse 3, he flips the script. He looks at the other side of the relationship and he talks about what Israel was to their God. And he uses two of the most precious words in the entire Hebrew language. First, he uses the word kodesh, which means holy or special or unique. He says Israel was holy to the Lord. And then he uses the word rashith, which means first things or most important things or first fruits. Uh, you were the first fruits of his harvest. This is the language of relationship. Deep, 
intimate, committed relationship. These are the, as I said, the richest words that Jeremiah had available to him to describe that relationship. And then everything changed. And then in verse 5 and 6, he describes it. This is what the Lord says. What, what fault did your fathers find in me that, that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols. They became worthless themselves. They didn't ask, where is the Lord? Who, fought, who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and rifts, a land of drought and darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. They didn't even ask, where is the Lord? And then verse, verse 11 is the pinnacle of this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Has a nation ever? No, a nation is... And, and, and they don't even worship the real God, but they've never changed their God. But you have. You've given up your glory or you've given up the glorious God. Uh, but the conclusion of all of this is what I especially want us to see. So in verse 13, Jeremiah wraps up this part of his argument with a, with a beautiful analogy. Listen to this. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Okay, uh, any ancient Near Eastern reader of Jeremiah would have understood the analogy here. Jeremiah is imagining them abandoning a free-flowing never-ending freshwater spring, and instead they're trading it in for a man-made cistern. Cisterns were shaped out to store water or to carry water from one place to another, and, and they were often used, and larger cisterns were used in places where water was not in abundance, and they were made out of the porous limestone that was abundant throughout the ancient Near East, especially in Israel. So in order for a cistern to be effective, it had to be lined on the inside with plaster, but this was an inexact science, and, and it often would leak a little bit, and always after a great deal of use. Uh, so cisterns were known to be leaky, especially if they'd been used for a while. Here's Jeremiah's point. Look, you need water, but you've abandoned a perfect fresh, ever-flowing spring for a leaky cistern. Who does that? Let's, uh, let's break this down. Here's what we're saying. You and I have a deep need to connect. We will satisfy that need somehow. The only reliable and sustainable satisfaction is a connection with God. So, you and I have a deep need to connect. I imagine many of you have heard of the uh, 17th century French mathematician and philosopher named Blaise Pascal. You may have heard of him even in high school. Uh, he wrote a defense of God, an explanation of God many years ago, and one of his arguments was based on the idea of essentially cause and effect. He basically made the point, which is still true today, that, that every effect has a cause. So, Part of the nature of science is when you see some kind of effect, you look for the cause. And Pascal makes the argument that the effect in this case is our desire for God. What is the cause? Pascal would argue the existence of God. Now, look, evolutionary theologians will suggest to us that our whole idea of God came from the evolutionary fear of something rattling in the bushes, and it was better to have that fear and to look for the explanation than to not have it. 
And that eventually led us to ideas about God, which seems, frankly, more preposterous to me than the idea of God. But Pascal put it like this. What else does our craving and our helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. You and I have a deep need to connect. I'm not going to try to convince you of that. I'm just going to simply remind you this morning, we all know this to be true, but I think we disregard it in our business. We, we forget about it. And, and part of the reason you and I struggle is because we disregard this or we forget about it. We, we forget that we're thirsty or we disregard our thirst. So we drift toward leaky cisterns to grab a sip of water and ignore the free-flowing, life-giving spring that's available to us. Our second point, right? You and I will try to satisfy our thirst somehow. We will find a source of water because we have to drink. We, we look at things we shouldn't. We eat too much. We overwork. We buy lots of stuff because we're thirsty. We don't overeat because we need food. We don't overwork because we need money. We're thirsty. We need connection. And these things feel kind of like a connection, at least in the short run. Israel, or Judah, the people that Jeremiah was writing to, they, they, they longed to feel secure, and her rulers and her spiritual leaders wanted to feel like they belonged among the important powers of the world. I've talked about this period of ancient Near Eastern history recently here at, at Gateway. Assyria was the only standing superpower in the world at this point. Egypt was a weak competitor. So Israel vacillated between seeking help from Egypt or going to Assyria and, and trying to work out some kind of trade and uh, alliance. And neither of these were good long-term solutions. And neither, by the way, were God's idea. Look, <clears throat> when I say that we need connection, I, I'm not just talking about some spiritual pie-in-the-sky idea. This, this need for connection drives our everyday lives and our decisions. And we find some ways to get the sense of connection or some semblance of it. We have to because we're thirsty. This affects what we do for a career. It affects who we marry. It affects how we spend our money, how we spend our time, etc. We will remember to satisfy our souls through a real and dynamic connection with God or we will find that satisfaction by prostituting ourselves out to lesser pleasures and pastimes that cannot really satisfy if you're uncomfortable with my language, then this afternoon go read the rest of Jeremiah chapter 2. <clears throat> this fundamental truth is the only explanation for addiction. Nobody wakes up and thinks, I want to become an addict one day. This is the only explanation for why we can't always do what we know is best for us. We want to do it, but we can't. Why don't we always make the choice that's, that's right for us, that we really want to make? Because we're thirsty. And we're abandoning the spring for which our souls were designed and we're grabbing for, for lesser impure water. We forget or we lose sight, either by choice or by force of circumstance, that we need connection. We are incomplete 
We are lamps that must be plugged into a power source to shine. We are a body that must be hydrated. We need living water. We need a connection to something outside of ourselves, and we will find it in the one source which can really reliably sustain us, or we will find it in leaky cisterns. I like the way Dwight Edward put this. I'm going to show you this one. He said this, Sin has introduced the insane belief in all of us that our God-given thirst can be quenched in God-absent waters. By the way, we also look for this connection in good things. We ask of those things what they cannot give us. We look for it in in self-discipline, you know, mindfulness or the right living. We look for it in our children. Happy Mother's Day. We look for it in religious exercises or in our work or in our marriages. And these are good and fulfilling things, but they cannot satisfy our thirst. The only reliable third point, sustainable satisfaction of our need for connection is our relationship with God. This is why we're here. And this is why we follow Jesus. He is the key to that connection. Now, I'm not going to fully explain this today, but I want to tease this idea because it's critically important. Listen to this. Jesus explores this theme for himself. With, with a, and this really incredible exchange with, with a Samaritan woman. <clears throat> and I want you to hear this exchange. I'm going to read John chapter 4, verses 4 through 14. And listen to this interchange between Jesus and this woman. <clears throat> now, he had to go through Samaria So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? John tells us uh, the disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, wait a minute, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink, and then John explains, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, "Uh, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you don't have anything to draw with, and, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and herd? Jesus answered, look, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, we're going to have more to say about what we mean by Jesus being the key to a connection with God next week. We've also not even started talking very specifically about how to build a connection with God. But it's critical for us to lay the the foundation that we've laid this morning, recognizing our need for connection and, and recognizing that it cannot be satisfied except in a relationship with God. That's the reminder for us today. Our our connection with God is essential for the health of our souls. Our our connection with God is essential for the health of our souls. Okay. 
If you don't have a soul-satisfying connection with God, and you're watching this morning or you're here this morning, please don't discard this topic. This, this is an epic, life-altering topic. Don't run past this. Give, give some space in your mind and heart and see if, if God will speak. I also suspect that there are others of us who imagine that we can check the box on this conversation because we're, we're religious in some way. We may think that's what this is all about. We, we may be, maybe we believe in God. We may be part of a church. We may, be part of, we may be part of Gateway. But that's not what we're talking about, and that's not what we'll be talking about over the next few weeks. Let's think about this lamp for a moment. You know, uh, this lamp might know a great deal about electricity, but that's not good enough. This lamp may have, uh, may have read articles about electricity. It may know the mechanics of how electricity works. Not good enough. This, this lamp may have gone to Virginia Tech and gotten a mechanical engineering degree. Not good enough it still cannot function fully as a lamp without being plugged into a power source. And you and I cannot live healthily unless our souls have the absolutely essential, vital, ongoing, living, fresh connection with God. There has to be a flow of real current for the lamp to be what it was designed to be. So, how is the current flow in your life? Let me give you some options. I mean this as a real thought exercise. Is the current flow in your life uh, full and strong? Is the current flow in your life a little bit weak right now, but steady? Is the current flow for you spotty and inconsistent? Or you're not sure there's any current at all. Then there are many of you who have been nurturing a real connection with God for some time. You know exactly what I mean when I use the phrase connection with God. That connection works differently in each of us, but in many ways it's the same. We have felt His love and pleasure. We have actually experienced His presence. We've seen God do things. We may have even heard his voice. But the same set of questions applies to us, doesn't it? How's the current lately in your connection with God? Is it full and strong? Is it a little weak right now, but steady? Is it spotty and inconsistent? Not sure there's any current at all? Listen, I, I really... I hope you can join us next week, uh, either here again or join us online. Uh, we're going to talk about where and how a connection with God begins. This is going to be like Christianity 101, but I think it'll be a great review for all of us. And for some of us, I pray it will be life-giving. If we stick to the lamp analogy, we're going to talk about how to get plugged in. 
We'll also give a little more definition to what we mean by the idea of a connection to God. Then in weeks three, four, and five, we're going to get very practical in talking about how to nurture a connection with God. So please join us here online. Remember, right now, we're still registering. We're waiting on the governor's latest recommendations, but we're still registering. And we've opened up 25 spaces upstairs for elementary kids. Thank you for those of you who checked your kids in today. Uh, beginning at the 11 o'clock service. Beginning in June, we'll open up uh, preschool classrooms as well downstairs. So uh, keep connecting with us. I read an interesting article this week that included a quote from Lady Catherine Tate. You don't need to remember who that is, except uh, her father, Lady Catherine Tate's father, was Bertrand Russell, who was probably the most famous atheist of the 20th century. Lady Catherine said this about her father. Listen to this. Somewhere at the back of my father's mind, at the bottom of his heart, in the depth of his soul, there was an empty space that had once been filled by God, and he never found anything else to put in it. Our connection with God is essential. This, this week, Let's make that connection the top priority for us. Let me close this in prayer. Father, I pray that you would speak to us in the stillness Look, Lord, we have, we have tried other things. We, we, have, we have made cisterns, and we have tried to collect water, and we've drunk because we're thirsty. And weirdly, sometimes it feels like, uh, I don't know, strange, or it feels like work to go back to the spring. In some cases, Lord, we're going to have to remove vines and, and debris and unplug the spring. But Father, we ask you this morning in Jesus' name that the spring of living water would flow in each of our lives and hearts. And I pray especially today, Lord, if there's anyone here that does not have a connection with you, I ask you, Jesus, that you would speak. And I know you can. You've spoken to me. I pray that you would speak in ways that we can understand that you would capture our hearts. Lord, we ask your forgiveness for the, our efforts to satisfy our thirst. And we keep trying over and over again. We keep trying things. We find ultimately that they are unsatisfactory, but we don't add it together. We don't, we don't, we don't recognize. We... And Lord, for those of us who have tasted your goodness, we are so sorry that we have stepped away, that we've gotten too busy or too preoccupied or we've just returned to some old cisterns that we had stuffed over in the corner. We've picked them up again. Please, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for forsaking you. Forgive us for digging our own cisterns as a way of satisfying the thirst that can only be satisfied 
by a connection with you. Lord, we need you <laughs> every hour. And I pray for that kind of walking, waking intimacy with you that sustains, that gives us life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.